All right, everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Gasol Education Show. Uh, so today we are here at Cleveland University for the MPI Adjustathon, the Super Bowl of Adjustments, yeah. right? Yeah. So today we have an interactive crowd. This is our first of our, our podcast like this, Brett. So it'll probably be off the rails and ridiculous, but hopefully it turns out okay. So uh, we're here with I mean, quite the lineage of uh, motion palpation suit instructors, uh, people that I know have been influential to me. Um, so real quick, let's just go around and just say who you are, where you practice, all right? Eric Isel, practice in Cincinnati. Steve King, practice in Cincinnati. Eric Menerick, Elburn, Illinois. Uh-huh. Corey Campbell, Omaha, Nebraska. Mark King, Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Lindsay Muma, Raleigh, North Carolina. Terry Elder, instructor uh -huh. at National University of Health Sciences. Bruce Weary of Prescott, Arizona. Brett Winchester, the Troy, Missouri. Home of Taylor Primer. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, we're good. We're good. Uh, okay, so I just want to start off with uh, so Motion Palpation Institute. This is like our, our biggest uh, seminar of the year, right? The Adjustathon. And so we have close to 220, 230. Kids here? No, I'm not sure. Uh, it's a lot. Oh, yep. And so, what what was always so special to me about these weekends is that uh, there's people from where, where's everybody at? So, how many people from Cleveland? Say hello. Yeah. Okay, Logan, right? Okay, Parker. Okay, Life. Did I miss anybody else? Northwestern, obviously. The so what's so cool about this is that we're bringing lots of different instructors and then also we're bringing lots of different students together. And so, uh, Mark, maybe start off as the president of Motion Palpation Institute. Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the best thing that students get away from this weekend and what, what do you hope that someone leaves this weekend with? Mostly that they just kept, kind of catch the fire that uh, this can lead to a great uh, career, a great life, and it's just one step in becoming proficient at this functional care. And, and I guess I would say just create some excitement uh, for, for them going forward. Right. And I think part of like MPI, you said it today, is the, the mission statement of MPI is to build the best palpators and adjusters in the world. So Corey, what's, uh, talk us through day one, like what all did we do today? And uh, you know, what, what, did, uh, what did we leave here with? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't really here for most of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, day one is always just the, the nuts and bolts of what we do. It's learning the mechanics of the drop, learning how to kick, learning how to do seated adjustments. And so, and obviously in, in the, mo the most important part is learning how to tie the palpation to the treatment. Like that's the, the key of the first day is that there's an assessment and based off that assessment, then you have this list of treatments that you can go through to match what the patient needs and meet them where they're at. That's the other thing that it's hard to do in a class like this, but at the end of day one, you start to see that it's the palpation that drives the bus, and it's the then inside the bus you have all these different options uh, to apply based off what you find on the assessment, which is the palpation. And then the other the other thing is just the the body awareness, and just you don't have to be an athlete to be a great adjuster, but it's an athletic event, and so it's one of those things that you you see you can actually train this skill. You can train palpation; it's a skill. You can train how to how to be a good adjuster; that's also a skill. And then it's just putting in the time and the work, and that's what day one's all about. I think too, you cannot be a great adjuster without learning how to palpate well. And that's not the exciting thing to say, but I think like the one thing that everybody needs to keep getting better at is their ability to uh, dynamically palpate. I would say that would be another big right. thing. 
So we have the Terry Elder here, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask him. So Terry, you've basically taught the best of the best when it comes to adjusters and palpators. And Proudest I say that moment of my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think or what have you seen? What makes the best palpators and, and adjusters in the world? Well, have a strong foundation in the biomechanics of the palpation. Practice it a lot. And, you know, Corey's right. Some athletes have a bit of an advantage in the beginning. Uh, but everybody can catch up. It's every impulse should be. We should all be the same speed, because if you do a true impulse, it's a reflex. And unless we have a neurological complication, as we get old, I'm not that old yet. But I've never. I mean, Lynn Faye's still adjusting, as far as I can tell, just like he used to. So an impulse is the same speed, but we got to allow ourselves to have it. And and once they get that. It's simply putting things together and having the proper setups and, you know, going from there. Gotcha. So then uh, let's maybe kick it to Lindsay. So, Lindsay, let's talk to us about uh, there's this uh, connotation around you have to be, a, you know, a big person. You have to have huge hands like Mark Keene to smash somebody's CT junction. You have to, uh, you know, have more more physical attributes to, to cavitate a joint, SI joint, and stuff like that. What if, uh, dispel that rumor for us, number one, and then talk to us about the things that, uh, and the questions you, you always get, right? Uh, being a female, how do you use your body to be such a great adjuster that you showcase today? Well, I think it sounds like you're saying I'm not physically impressive. <laughs> Other ways. Um, I, it's, it's really Way just about... It's <laughs> really just about being biome biomechanically advantageous. And so if you're a smaller doc, you can actually have a lot of like an, an advantage there because you don't have to get your big burly self out of the way, right? Like if you're small, you can get in small spaces and you can be really quick. And you also like you, you have the same biomechanics at play in an adjustment that a larger doctor does. And so I think if if the the adjustment that you're seeing doesn't work for you, there's a way to tweak it so that it does. And like I, I do kind of have behemoth hands, so like that's not the, the fairest thing, but they're not Mark King size. Like, did you really just pick up the wrong hand? <laughs> um, so I, you, you have to use whatever you have to your advantage. I think it is an advantage that I'm a female because more females see chiropractors than males. So I think that that's an advantage already right off the bat. I think that there are a lot more females who see more, who feel more comfortable seeing a female. So I think that's working to my advantage. I don't think that that works against me. You know, like people always ask about, well, what about getting your chest in the way or things like that? I, you have to work with the body that you have. So if you put on 10 pounds, you should still be able to adjust. If you lose 15 pounds, you should still be able to adjust. And if every single time that you do a setup, you get it to the point where you are able to use your biomechanics in this situation to create whatever motion you're trying to create, it doesn't matter what size you are. You can be effective and efficient in any body and, and be an amazing chiropractor. 
I, I hope the small females are listening to that. That's that was a good answer. Yeah. Thanks you for shoving my face. I, was I know a few. <laughs> I was hoping that she would shove that right back in my face. So I'm not, that's that was that was a setup. I took we always say that Sarah Mackey's the best adjuster at MPI, and she's also the smallest adjuster at MPI. She just force equals mass times acceleration. She doesn't have any mass, but she can accelerate. And she just has great technique. So I always say technique, speed, and then power. And and it, she's an example. And Lindsay is. Kind of there too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. I was thinking Donna. Donna too. Yeah. Well, she, yeah. Very much. Right. I got a question for Bruce Weir here. So Bruce, you used to teach with Lynn, like kind of in the original uh, group of instructors. So what have you noticed now that you sat around here for a day compared to what you guys used to do in the '80s? And well, uh, yeah, how would you? I'm first. I'm impressed. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of the oldest the horse here because I was around when Lynn first started this back in 1980. And we started the first motion palpation club at Palmer. Uh, but I've had the same experience that you had. We were talking last night that uh, I got halfway through school. I've come from a family of chiropractors. There's about six or seven of us. And uh, I had gone so far as uh, being in the process of quitting school. And I know you did too. Because they were giving us the clinical courses, but they weren't tying it together. And I called my dad, who was a dentist. I said, let's go to dental school. you know. And I, got, I started applying, taking the DAT and all that. And then Len Faye came along. And he brought this wonderful lecture that put all of it together. And he used to say, you know, most chiropractors live in fear of the day somebody figures out they really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. And it's not easy taking all this coursework and getting through school and taking all this debt if you don't have a feeling that you kind of know what you're doing. And these courses make that more and more and more clear. Not only the science of it, but putting the hand skill the manual skills and the understanding in your hands so you can say I really can go out in the world and I really can succeed and I really can do what I thought this was all about when I got here because let's face it there's a lot of disenchanted chiropractors in the world and students so I think that's the most valuable thing you're doing here is teaching people to be real clinicians this isn't something you have to believe in uh, there's a real science to it a predictability to it yeah it's a school of hard knocks learning how to do manual skills but it's more than worth it uh, it's going to be better than you think when you finally get out if you get good and this is where you're going to do it if all you get is your curriculum and your diploma that's not going to be enough i learned how to do palpation and adjusting after uh, school at nights we used to get together 20 kids and i get my hands on all these people and practice outside of the curriculum so it's a little bit of guerrilla warfare learning how to do this and do it well but these guys are your anchors of where to go and how to how to improve and get where you want to go. So I applaud them for the job they're doing. Yeah, that's a great day. Shameless plug for the motion palpation clubs at the schools. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Get to club. Go to club. We started the first club and we had like 100 kids in there. We took up a whole technique room this big and we're all palpating and it generates a lot of excitement. <clears throat> Well, I remember George DeFranca and uh, Peter Gale saying that they would every day watch one of Lynn's videos, like I, even, even after day. they did it, you know, so I mean, I think uh, that's just a testament to, you know, continuing to better yourself. And Peter taught me, he was an upperclassman, I let him marry my sister because he helped me. He's retired, but he's still, he's a hell of an adjuster and... Uh, yeah, uh, you got to have the right people kind of fall into place, but this should be your home base. You can't get enough of these seminars because this is, I've adjusted a few of you today and you kind of like what we did. Uh, if you want to learn how to do that, this is probably the best way to do it. Well, Unless you have some really excellent techniques and instructors at schools, but that hasn't been my experience that that's usually the case. Fred, I, I want to add what you and Corey have said about your experience. I had the same thing. 
and it just so happens that Bruce was my experience. So ah, it, okay. it really is downhill kind of thing, you know, because <laughs> I had the same experience you did, and then I went to a motion palpation seminar, and I started the first motion palpation club at Cleveland, Cleveland. and, you know, from there, there's where we went. So. Well, what about talking about downstream? Let's go to Erica. Erica, what's the number one lesson that you learned from Terry going through school? Don't tell him the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so many stories. Um, you know, I'm a larger doctor myself, and so, but yet I still have patients who are larger than me. And one of the, the thing that just popped into my mind was um, I remember working on like Derek and I can't remember the Derek. guys' names, right? Yeah. Big guys who like played, you know, linebacker. And I remember trying to adjust these guys. And I'm like, how am I ever going to work on this guy? And one of the things that Terry said to me, he's like, their joints are really not that much bigger than anybody else's. You just have to figure out how to deal with the mass. Mm. And so that is something that I've taken with me. So when I have a, a patient that's even bigger than me or that I feel that like the table's too high or whatever, like I just try to remember, like it doesn't matter the size of the patient. The joints are generally about the same size and I just have to figure out how to get to them. It's a great lesson, so. great lesson. What about, uh, let's kick it over here to uh, Steve and Eric. So you guys both work for this uh, J.O. over here, Mark King. Uh, how have you guys uh, <laughs> utilized this stuff, <laughs> utilized this, uh, the motion palpation here? How, how big of an influence does your manual technique have on growing a big practice? I mean, Eric, we always say that, you know, you basically have the, the biggest practice that nobody knows about in, in the world. How, how has this, uh, you know, built, built your practices? I think it came down to having confidence that first day into practice. I didn't, I didn't worry about was I going to move that person the day one. I didn't, I didn't have to worry about running a practice because that was Mark's job. And so I knew all I have to do is diagnose and adjust this guy. And if you go in and you don't know what you're doing, palpating, adjusting, and you don't have good diagnostic skills, you're up a creek with something. And uh, paddle isn't one of them. And so the, the thing was, I walked in knowing, like, I don't think there's anybody I'm not going to be able to move. Now, I struggled just like everybody else, but that was my thing. I wanted to come out being a great adjuster. I know Steve was probably one of the best adjusters coming out of life. And he was a year behind me in school. And we beat on each other at seminars all the time. I mean, and Yeah, I would circle back to thank, thanking God for the club. Right. Because of the club, I got to teach. Mm -hmm. And I... I think Brett mentioned he went to 30 seminars when he was in school. Yeah. I, I went to 30 for sure, yeah. and I got to help teach at the seminars, and uh, and then, so I had that direction. And then the confidence thing, I went right in that first day of practice and had the confidence. Right. So yeah, you just don't have to worry about that one aspect of it. Yeah, it's absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. Well, Mark, let's kind of set the stage for... Uh, MPI, obviously, it's been a huge factor on all of our lives, but uh, if somebody left this weekend or left an MPI seminar, what, would, what do you think would be like the one takeaway that you would really want them to take away as a, from Motion Palpation Institute? Uh, that it's a system for analysis and that they're, and that they're excited. I, this is two. Mm -hmm. System of analysis <laughs> that they feel confident in, like Eric and Steve were just saying. And, but I also want to say just that they have a more excitement and more passion for, for their future career, if they're a student or what they're doing currently if they're a doc. Yeah, well, it. what's happened in the last 15 years, too, and we've all witnessed it, is our MPI reps, the people that are involved with MPI, have gone on to do amazing things. And I think that's got to make you proud to see like these people, they go on. Maybe it's not for MPI, but they teach for other leading organizations. They're out just, you know, doing a great job. And I really think, like, anybody who's anybody in the last 
15 years that we all know and talk about, they've come through NPI, and I think that's got to make you feel Well, we, we, de we definitely, we always joke that we like to brag about our, our MPI students. We do. I mean, I, I'm very, very proud of it. Yeah, it's one of the great things of my life. I, I, have to, I have to admit that it's a big deal for me, and I do like to brag about them. There's some of them here uh, now that are just, uh, have been here, you know, all day today, and they're just impressive people professionally, and a lot of them personally, too. But I'm just saying that it, it just really is, uh, we like to brag about them. I'd leave it at that. Yeah, we got a couple that are in jail too. We don't talk we, about those. <laughs> we let those go. Well, we, we saw that coming then too. So. <laughs> right. I'm on All week. right, well let's <laughs> let's uh, get off the NPI chair a little bit. Does anybody have a question? Uh, maybe a clinical question for the day or anything? Pete. Yeah, um, Brett talked about culture today. Mark loves the systems. What are each of your non-negotiables for practice or for day-to-day? -day? Like, what do you hang your hats on in, in practice? So Peter asked, uh, what are the non-negotiables when you're hiring a, a someone or having someone in your practice, uh, the, the intangible stuff or the things that, that make someone really special at Mount Lookout or Winchester Spine Sport? I mean, for me, one thing I think my gold medal is, is like with a patient, like knowing when something's not right. I mean, you obviously know the, the patients that you're going to help. But also like being able to pick up, you know, whether it would be cancer, whether it be an autoimmune disease, whether it be a Parkinson's diagnosis. So, you know, as chiropractors continue to like go more down that technician route, like I'm really kind of a homer for being, being a primary care physician, like being able to pick up that, uh, that real difficult case. And uh, to me, I think that is where like being good at a system of palpation is so important. You may not know exactly what their diagnosis is, but you know that you've never felt it or seen it that way. Therefore, it's leading you to the next step. And to answer your question directly, Pete, I think that's what I always look for is basically like I am uh, extremely paying attention to every single case. And I know some people say like at the end of the day, I, I'm gaining injury or uh, gaining energy. I'm really tired because I've like thought long and hard through every single possibility of every single case. And in my career, I, I think of like, let's just take Monday. When I leave Monday, I should be exponentially better when I walked out than when I walked in, even the same day. Like that's how quickly I feel like you can improve if you're doing that. And I feel like people don't do that honestly. Like they, they're just so stagnant, they get bored, they, you know, their minds other places. And uh, so I, I would say that would be uh, the non-negotiable for me. And then I think also like what is not taught this weekend is, there's a whole other set of intangible things that make you a good healer. You gotta be empathetic. You gotta be likable. Uh, you gotta actually want to get the patients better. These are all things that like Western medicine actually doesn't do a good job of. So um, you know you gotta you gotta have a killer personality. I think to make it in practice to make people want to be there and be, be treated. That would be probably mine. Yeah, to piggyback on those points, I would say just a, a, a phrase that Corey uses a lot: that intrinsically motivated. If they're intrinsically motivated, they're gonna want to help their patients. They're gonna want to learn. So that that is uh, like I don't have to. In our practice, we have eight chiropractors and three physical therapists. We, I don't spend any time motivating our, our people. They, they are more than happy to study and learn, and we do classes all the time, and we discuss cases, and we, they're just motivated people. And I didn't make them motivated. They just came in day one motivated. So that intrinsically motivated phrase, that really applies. I think that's my, my big thing. I love it. Great question. Anybody else got any questions? Behind you. Yeah, Sean. So when you're using motion palpation in practice and you're integrating, you're doing all the other stuff. Let's say you do MBT, 
how do you integrate all that in your assessment? <laughs> so the question was, how do you integrate multiple different systems I'm into, your, into your assessment? It's just, yeah. Yeah. It, is he answered this? Who, whoever wants it. I think you just, you, you pick, and this is part of the art of being a clinician and being a healer is the patient who walks in is giving you a lot of information and so you have to filter through like what is the patient's energy like today like what 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 are they bringing with them into this appointment and then when you do your initial exam like I this is a very long appointment with with my new patients my new patients are an hour-long exam and I spend a lot of time figuring out what I'm going to do and I'll like try out a couple of things so I've done MDT and DNS and ART and Factor and, and the, these different kind of things that I can use to approach a patient. I'm not going to use all of those on every patient. Some of my patients don't have any idea that I do some of the other things that I do because I kind of married whatever they came in with with what was going to match best for them. If you do a really good initial physical exam, then you'll kind of have a better idea of what this patient needs so like mark was talking about classifying patients earlier today so mdt does a really great job of classifying patients but just from a general kind of standpoint is this patient more stability or mobility and depending on what they need then you can match the tools to whatever it is that they are going to respond best to and that's just really like the art of becoming a clinician yeah, that's a perfect answer. The exam is key. Mm -hmm. It really is. And so Sean, you may have a routine, though. You know, like, like I actually have a routine that I basically work through the whole body. And uh, Corey, I think, will do it tomorrow. So, like, you do all your things you do supine, then from the sideline position, then prone. And then, especially early on, you just get in the habit of repeating that, repeating that, and repeating that. And the reason that's important also is because you're going to start seeing, like Lynn originally talked about, where you may adjust someone's subtalar joint and affect joint mobility far away from the site of your adjustment. And if you're not auditing all the joints and you have no way to, to know that they're actually better. So I think the key, especially when you're young, is doing it the same way over and over and over again. Because otherwise, if you're doing something different every time, then it's going to be really difficult to learn. I think it'd be affected by your scope too. If you're if you like to do a lot of soft tissue work, you're going to use those parameters. If you're going to do some nutritional work, you'll have a program for that. But at least you should have a good basic, basic orthopedic system. I tell patients all the time, I call them restrictions so the patients understand it, but they're as common as tartar in teeth. Everybody has fixation, so everybody walking in is at least going to need that. And uh, if I could take a, a little bit of time here, I was talking to somebody yesterday. This is a little analogy I make. that. My dad, <clears throat> he was a high school dropout and he went back to school at a late age to become a dentist. He graduated when he was 42. And we were growing up watching our dropout dad become a doctor, so we figured we could. And uh, <laughs> it turns out we were, we were right. And so um, as we uh, got through school and learned how to do these things, um, it became apparent that uh, you have to have a methodology and, and kind of a, a paradigm that you're working with and a lot of people have different different paradigms they want to include in their practice but this is the main core of what we do and so I think you'll you'll develop enough systems to, to know how to do the things that you do or that you want to do and if you get go ahead oh, it's okay. I was gonna say that you know my background my undergrad is both in chemistry and music and you know I thought oh I'm gonna I'm gonna take this route and I'm gonna go into chiropractic and it's gonna be very scientific and there's gonna be boxes to check 
but I didn't realize that once I got through that exam and once I got through the structured part of it, that it becomes really creative mm -hmm. as to how I get to take all of these tools and create a treatment plan. How I get to have this interaction with my patient, as Lindsay was saying, about what do they need today? I'm gonna create something that makes them feel better today. And so it's really interesting. You talked about the art, but I really find it, like I find a, a ton of passion in the creative process of fitting it all together. And it, it does get more, more smooth with experience. And as you're trying to figure out, it is a little trial and error, but it, it's the, it, that's the really fun part is the creative part to me. And Taylor, I just want to say, I wasn't laughing at your question. I just thought it was a setup question. Because it, for Gestalt education, and the process you guys use in your clinic, you know, it's like Thomas E2, he came back and he was explaining how you guys go through your, your process of putting that all together. And, they just have a really good process at their office. Well, I think too, like if you have good systems, you can use a minimalist approach, which basically means you're not wasting time. At the end of the day, the more patients you see, the more money you make. So the goal is how many patients can you see without like compromising the quality of care? So if you're a sniper and you're really good on your assessment, then you know exactly what to go after. They say like the master acupuncturist, how many needles do they need? One. When you suck at acupuncture, you need 30. You know, like so having a minimal approach and then you actually get after what's actually wrong. And I think that's critical for you to, so to, um, to having good results, but also making the living for all of us. I mean, the goal is the bare minimum is 100 grand a year. And then, you know, after that, whatever you can, whatever you can muster. I lost my train of thought a minute ago. What I was trying to say was uh, when my dad became a dentist, he also needed a dentist. Right? Dentists need dentists. And female gynecologists need gynecologists. And chiropractors need chiropractors. And because you're educated consumers of chiropractic services, you should know what you're looking for in your own chiropractor someday. Probably not looking for somebody who wants to sell you 90 visits for $5,000 up front or giving out crooked pens or keychains or things like that. You want somebody that has confidence and skill in their hands that conveys to you that they know what they're doing, that whatever they do for you, you are happy to pay for it and come back again the next time and refer somebody. How many of you have ever had a painful adjustment? How many would say most of the adjustments you had? <laughs> How many Today? had a, a smooth adjustment that you got off the table going, wow, what oh the hell was God, that? What was that? <laughs> that's what I want. Since you know what that is, that's what we want you to become. You become that doctor that can deliver that kind of care and confidence and a good clean cavitation where you get off the table feeling better because that's what patients want. They don't necessarily want some of the stuff that is, we come up with in our offices but they usually they want to be better and they, they know what a good adjustment is and this is where you're going to learn how to do that. So I really think this is the foundation of what you need to do to pay your rent, get a lot of satisfaction in practice and then you can branch out do these other things that you'd like to be creative with and things like that. But this here, what we're doing this weekend is what every patient needs pretty much. And I don't know of any other place to, to hone that skill than here. Okay, I got a, I got a hot button question for everybody here especially. Uh, so everyone in this room basically is going to walk out of chiropractic school right now with $200,000 in debt. Okay? Think about that for a second, right? Bible, forgive it. And then the average, let's just say the average salary of a chiropractor right now in Missouri is between sixty and $65,000. How do we 
reconcile that? How do we, um, as students, as consumers, as people that want to pay their bills and you know uh, make a good living, how, how do we how do we achieve that? How do we make that happen? Well, why chiropractic is so tough is because if you get with your friends, like if we all get together with my friends, even to this point, one of the easy questions that people ask is, well, how many patients are you seeing? And that's like a really weird question to ask. And I always say like, what's hard about our profession is there's not like a scoreboard in the side of the room to know like, where are you at? Instead, we're always using like a really weird stat, which is the only thing we're judging is how many visits you're seeing. Well, that's really ironic because that has nothing to do with quality at that point, you know? So um, I would say that, I mean, you've heard me say it before. I mean, I think the, the minimum, you have to look at your schedule and you have to make sure that you have a pathway to make the money that you want. A lot of you are about to sign a contract where if you just put pen to paper, like it's not even possible for you to make six figures. So a lot of people go into a situation set up to fail. So I think like you have to look at your contract and like if you were 90% full, is it possible for you to make the money that, that you want? Um, uh, that's probably what I would say. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that's a good answer, I think. Yeah, you just have to reverse engineer it. Like, you have to, this is what you need to make in order to take home some money, and this is what you need to make to pay your bills, and then you have to reverse engineer it. And then, well, like Mark says all the time, are you, if you had 20 new patients tomorrow, would you be able to handle it? And most people say, no, well, then don't worry about it. It'll never happen. Like, you have to have the systems in place to be able to be efficient still deliver quality care so that you can reverse engineer to make the money that you need to make. You need to work it backwards. What do you need? And then just reverse engineer and then make sure you have the systems in place to do that. That's, I mean, it's, it's counting and, and reverse engineering. I'm kind of a Look, proponent of uh, what Greg Stanley would say. Some of you know, he, he used to be a chiropractic consultant. He works with dentists mostly now, but he'd say nothing cures you like volume. What he means is the busier you are, you know, the, the, that economic relaxation you can make really sort of puts your mind at ease. And so I practice mostly like these guys, but maybe a little different. I'm a sole practitioner. I now, I've been doing this for 40 years, so I, I practice four days a week from 6.30 to 1. I have my afternoons off. I don't I take a three-day weekend. And I see between 6.30 and I see about 50 to 55 patients. Uh, and it doesn't take me that long to see them. I don't do much soft tissue work. I farm that out. I found a really great massage therapist who's uh, ART trained, and she's very good. And so she can do something that I don't have the time to do or can get paid to do if I put another 10 or 15 minutes into each patient because I can make more income doing adjustments. Now, I'm not a mill. Nobody walks out and goes, geez, that was fast. Or that, if you, a lot of you have adjusted, I adjust like these people. But I, that volume gives me the freedom to do the other things I, that I want to do. What does she do then? She refers patients back to me. I also don't do any rehab really to speak of in my office. I farm that out to skilled physical <coughs> therapists who then refer other patients back to me to, the, to do the things that I can do. So there's a saying, the doctor should only do what only the doctor can do. Only I can do great adjusting. So that's what I do all day long. With a little therapy, we do a lot of, of spinal decompression too. But if I try to do more things for more people, trying to be more complete, that's a lot of time on the clock and I could never see 50 or 55 people in six or seven hours, and I do it with one staff member. So, and it's fun. It sounds like a lot, but that it's, that's very doable. Keep your overhead down. It's not what you make, it's what you take. But nothing cures you like volume. You want to see more people. We are peace workers. We get paid per patient. So decide what's important to you and most important to the patient that day, because you can't do everything for them. 
And if you want to supply these other things, have a cost-effective way of doing that. If you're going to do rehab, how are you going to pay for that? Who's, who's going to do it? If you're going to do other things, then you have to figure that into your picture. But I practice simply, and uh, I've done it the other way. I had a PT clinic for years, and you know, and I've come back to simple, and uh, that works. So that's one one way of looking at it. Perfect. Can I just add? I, one of the things I learned from both Lynn and Bruce early on, and I, I, you might throw in your story that you just told me, but one of the things that when you do have the confidence, and I, I know all these people fit this category, is they're not afraid to go out and ask a patient to come see them. It's just somebody you meet, and, and as you're sharing kind of thing. And if you don't have that confidence, you're not willing to go there. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there are a lot of quacks out there. But as long as in your heart you know you're not and you can deliver the goods and you've experienced that, then you can get a lot of patience. But, I mean, Lynn Faye, instead of advertising, he would go out to eat dinner and he would leave his cards and talk to them and tell them what he was and what he did. And, and that was when he came to the U.S. That was his advertisement. So... I think that helps a lot too, but you got to have the confidence to do that. Yeah. You want to share what you told me? Which story? Earlier? Are we told? The guy in the wheelchair? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that would be the third time you've heard this probably. Uh, it is a good story. Um, I went to my, this is last year, I went to my bank and uh, to meet with a banker and this young kid is the banker. He stands up out of his wheelchair, dapperly dressed, and he comes over to greet me and walks like he's got cerebral palsy with a cane like this and he's 25 and uh, so I'm nosy I said what happened to you <laughs> and uh, he said well I was I trashed my back in the Marines I've been on a full medical discharge when I was 21 and he'd been through the whole VA system and they'd done everything they could for him uh, they, he said, my, they just said my back's disintegrating like an 80 year old man and it's gonna end up in this chair he just got married his wife had wheeled him through Disneyland and uh, so I'd see him every few weeks, and I'd, I'd say, uh, I'd ask him questions about his pain. And this is where it's nice to know how pain syndromes work, because you could ask somebody questions. You can ask a stranger. You know, Brett could meet somebody on a bus and could probably diagnose him in five minutes because he knows he's probably seen pretty much everything. And it just wasn't making sense. So um, I said, would you mind sending me your, your MRI report? I'd just be curious to see it. And he finally does. And it wasn't remarkable. And I saw his films, his just plain x-rays, and his, his spine looked, his structures looked great. And uh, I said, I this took about four or five months. I finally said, would you mind, would you object to coming and let me examine you, you know? Uh, and I, I didn't need the business. I wasn't trying to, you know, get somebody in my office. And uh, he finally agreed. So he'd never been to a chiropractor. His pain's a nine, you know, his whole quality of life is, is screwed. And he comes in and I examine, and his exam wasn't very remarkable. I, could almost, I couldn't provoke any nerve root tension signs or anything like that. And I said, I think you're just stuck. Are you willing to let me treat you on a trial basis? And he said, he reluctantly said yes. So I put him on the table, cavitate both hips, hit the SI joints, thoracolumbar junction. He gets off the table, and his look comes over his face like this, like utter disbelief. And... Uh, I said, what's your pain score now? He said, it's like a four. And in two weeks, he was completely recovered. Completely. Quit the bank, pulling out tree stumps, back to running, became a cop. They had a baby. Great story. <laughs> Seems miraculous. But if I hadn't asked him, 
those questions, if I hadn't taken interest in an obvious disability in the guy, he'd still be like that. They told him he was going to end up in that wheelchair. And you had, the, had to have the confidence to approach Right, because I knew there's, there was when you know you know, and there's when you kind of think you know, and there's when you know you don't know yet. <laughs> Most of you are you know you don't know yet, right? And we're helping you know a little bit more as you go along here. But I've been doing it an awful long time, and I was just as surprised as he was that that was the problem. But don't ever take no for an answer. I don't think in 40 years I've ever told a patient, you're going to end up in a wheelchair. But patients will come in and tell you often that they've been told that. Have you ever told a patient that? No. Have you ever said, you're going to end up in a wheelchair? Why is that? How come this team has never said that? But it's a common thing that patients have heard. And he wrote us this beautiful, if you want to look up my reviews sometime, his name is Noah, and read what he wrote. It's an amazing story. But and they left you one star. Coffee <laughs> <laughs> wasn't hot. Didn't have <laughs> he was five minutes behind. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a great story. Uh, that's what you're capable of doing. Anybody in this room, once you learn how to do it, could have done what I did for that guy. And I think that's why we're here. Isn't it? We kind of want to do cool shit like that. Yeah. I, I would have done it in five weeks, though. Not yeah. <laughs> You're not well yet. You still got insurance left. Even if <laughs> <throws, laughs> All right, let's take one more question, and then let's, uh, let's get on with it. Anybody else got one more? Let's go. Holy Jeez, All right, fist fight over it, and then, uh, yeah, rock, paper, scissors. Perfect. All right, Nick, let's go. Baby. All right. Don't mess this up. Come on, man. Well, this is definitely more towards Logan, you guys know everything that's going on there, and us trying to reach the lower tries. I think it's important that they know the like really huge importance of palpation. Can you guys just touch on like how important palpation is, even though adjusting is important. We need to get those younger tries in who aren't allowed to adjust. Can you just touch on the importance of palpation in your clinic and for everyone that comes in? Yeah, I mean that's, without your ability to palpate, then you can't be a good adjuster. Like I said this morning, the great adjuster who doesn't know how to palpate essentially doesn't exist. Like there's people who get good at adjusting the psychomotor skill of it, but if you don't know how to palpate, then at that point you're literally just guessing. So um, I would say it, it is just as important as the adjustment, quite honestly. So, And I, I would say people that can't palpate, there are some good adjusters that can't palpate, but it de depends on how you define it. A lot of people define a good adjuster is somebody that cavitates everybody all the time, no matter what. And those are actually often overly aggressive adjusters that never palpated. And they actually hurt more people than, than somebody that actually knows how to palpate. Because they're just technicians and not right. diagnostics. Exactly. They're not clinicians, they're technicians. And so, I mean, the palpation drives a bus, like I said. Like, if you, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to treat if I couldn't palpate. Yeah. Like, so I absolutely would not have no way. know what to do. Like, yeah. I would have no clue. And you can make people do section step downs. You can do FMS first top tier screens. You can do all this stuff. Function and functional assessments, neuro assessments don't tell you what the joints are doing. The only true way to assess a joint system is through palpation. You can't do it through functional screening. It just doesn't tell you where that passive joint motion isn't coming from. The only way to do that is through palpation. And if we want buy-in to do anything else in the chiropractic profession, the way we get buy-in is by delivering diagnosis and treatment with our hands. And if you can't palpate, you can't do those two things. I'll make you feel a little better about this. So I'm, I'm a better adjuster than I am a palpator. And I'm still trying to catch up on that. It's, it, it, the only reason is because the palpation's harder. The adjusting is comparatively easy for me, 
uh, and the palpation is compared. Well, I mean, I'm I'm decent, but I'm just saying that I it I'm still trying to improve my palpation of skills. And palpation will be different in the hands of different people, especially as a beginner, because you're gonna when you adjust people into a restriction, sometimes those restrictions are compensations and you want to leave them alone. So when you're learning now and you're bouncing off stuff, it's because you may not have a lot of skill. When Brett or, or uh, uh, Mark or myself or Terry bounce off of something, we go, wait a minute, I know how to move that. Sometimes that didn't feel right. I think I'm going to leave that alone. So you're going to transcend into, God, I can't hardly move anything, to, geez, I'm pretty good at this. Why did that not move? Maybe I'll leave that alone. You know, Doc, when you tried to adjust that, I got a headache afterward. So you need, you need to, the palpation will also tell you which kind of restriction it might be, and that it's okay to leave it alone. It might have a reason to be there. So you can use it in lots of different ways. And, and like, like uh, Corey was saying, if you don't palpate, you don't know. You may know how to do it. You may not know where to go to do what you need to do. That's going to tell you where to go. The palpation becomes your audit too. Right. You know, right. getting a good bite. Part of the palpation is part of your baseline, and that's one of the biggest things I learned from Mackenzie is getting a really good baseline. But your palpation is part of that. So you know, you might do you do the palpation. You do this great adjustment. And you're like the patient's like, yay, that's great. Oh, pretty ca cavitation, and you're like. Yes, yay me! And then you send him back at the end of the table, and you're like, "Dang, that's still there. I need to do something else." That that I haven't. Yeah. So we got a pretty cavitation, but that restriction's still there. I'm gonna lay him back down and do it, or do a different adjustment, do a different, because that's my audit. I didn't, I didn't do my full job if it's still there. And it might be that like I say, nope, that's enough for today. I know it's still there. I'm gonna come back to it next time. But there's times on, if you follow me, you see me palpate, adjust, repalpate. Mm, I don't like how that's moving yet. Let's do another technique. So it's your audit too. I love it. Uh, well, thank you everyone for, for hanging out with us and listening to our podcast. And uh, so this is a yearly event. This is the one thing, like if everybody asks us all the time, like what's this, what's, where do I start? What seminars do I start with? We always say MPIs first because it's literally the bedrock of everything. So I think that's me personally as a young doc, that's what's established me is to be able to palpate, uh, to be able to kind of know where I'm headed and stuff like that. But if there was one MPI seminar, it would be this weekend. Would you all agree with that? Yeah, so um, I just think that the MPI Justathon, not only what we did today, but then what we're about to do, which is socialize and uh, you know maybe have a couple drinks and uh, get to get to talk. Maybe I'll beat Eric in uh, pool this year. Probably not. But uh, you know these little <laughs> things I think were so special. And what's so special to me about this community is that it's literally. It, I mean, I have lifelong friends in here that I may haven't seen for years, but you know, being able to reconnect with them, it's just like uh, it's like old friends. It's 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 an easy commonality. Um, you know, we, we can uh, pick up each other, and, and you know, Corey and I, we haven't seen each other in a while, but we have great conversations about random stuff that's nothing about <laughs> chiropractic. But right. you know, like we're we're lifelong friends, and so me personally, I thank you all for for setting the stage um, and and for really establishing what MPI is and the future is bright and uh, we're you're going to create the best palpators just in the world and I hope you guys right here are are the future right your palpators and justice in the world I think like for us too I mean if you've been at this long enough like you've been around everyone in the world who's good at this I come here and I'll see one of these people like you know multiple times in a day I'll be thinking wow like I just learned something there you know and that you know you get to a certain point where that doesn't always happen you know and like this group of people here like that that happens all the time with this group so I think that that's absolutely. a testament to them absolutely well yep. thank you all for sitting down uh, thank you all congratulations let's go Drinks and seltzers, and uh, for more information, motionpalpation.org, correct? Yep. Um, 
There's courses all over the place. Just get to one. Uh, I'm, it's one of our core fours for a reason. I guess all education because it's the bedrock of what we do. Um, there's not a day goes by that Brett and I aren't going to smash some joints. And so, um, what what's the new thing that they can do? The Chiropractic Excellence Channel. Right. So it's a it's an online um, subscription. subscription based channel where you get training videos two to three a month, a closed Facebook group. Uh, discounts to live classes and then other resources like exam forms and the uh, case management book and those kinds of things so um, it's 37 bucks a month it's super cheap but it's one way just another resource for you guys to try to try to increase our footprint a little bit and help as many people in a in a you know a quality way that's beneficial for everybody and so that's also out there and I would say once you go to one MPI seminar you're like you're part of the tribe like you're part of a community that's that's humble that's driven um, and that really wants the best for you like we want you guys to not only be successful but fulfilled and, and that's what we hope for you not just in practice but in life in general so um, once you come here you're part of a community you're part of a people a group of people you can reach out to and we're 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 humble we're driven, we're growth mindset, and we're here to help. Like, none of this is ours. We're just here to help and hopefully leave this profession in a little better place than we found it. And if you're $200,000 in debt, what the hell is 37 bucks? Does <laughs> <laughs> it really matter that way? I mean, yeah. Money grab, come on. <laughs> well, I'm going to end this how Corey ends all of his, and it's become his little trademark. So attack your days with great grace and gratitude. And we'll see you guys tomorrow. Check it out. Whoa! Stay tuned for the travel series where we'll, we'll uh, give some insight into what these days look like. All right, guys, have a good day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gasol Education Show. Uh, if you liked it, share it, subscribe to it, uh, send it to your friends, send it to someone that needs to hear this message. Uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the, the best clinical advice that they can, which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us, or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations, let us know. Uh, for a list of our upcoming courses, we're adding them all the dang time. So go to gestaltedu.com, click on courses, and they'll all be right there for you. All right, have a good day.